X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Monday, July 20th. Yesterday, back in the day, July 19th, 1894, more than 350 people gathered near the hamlet of government camp at the base of Mount Hood. They braved nasty weather, and 155 men and 38 women reached the summit, where they elected William Gladstone Steele as the first president of the Mazamas. The club was named after an antelope that can climb like a goat, and they sought to create the best mountaineering club in the Northwest. Today, back in the day, July 20th, 1921, Congresswoman Alice Mary Robertson became the first woman to preside over the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. And today, back in the day, July 20th, 1969, the Apollo 11 lunar module carrying Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on the surface of the moon. Aldrin and Armstrong walked on the moon seven hours later. Michael Collins remained in orbit, and the learner Michael Collins remained in orbit. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Today we'll start with your quick sick. An X-ray journalist Kate K will join with an update on a hate symbol found at a local construction site. And then our interview with Oregon Senior Senator Ron Wyden with a preview on the legislative session that starts in Washington, D.C. today. X-Ray. First up, it is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty has issued Mayor Ted Wheeler an ultimatum. A week ago, Hardesty said she had no interest in controlling the police directly. Then federal law enforcement arrived in our town. Within a week, at least one protester was severely injured by federal agents. Many more were detained in unmarked vehicles, often without a formal arrest. Hardesty has strongly condemned the collaboration between the police bureau and federal agents. Here was her statement. We know that Portland Police Association President Daryl Turner met with DHS Secretary Chad Wolf. We know Portland police are collaborating with this federal occupying force. Hardesty accused Mayor Wheeler of putting the community in danger. Her statement ended thusly. Mayor Wheeler, if you can't control the police, give me the Portland Police Bureau. As of Sunday, Wheeler's office had yet to respond. Daryl Turner says Portland is sick of the protests. By the way, Daryl Turner first became the head of the police union in 2010. Since 2010, Portland has had eight police chiefs. Six since 2015. And someone sick of the federal presence on our streets is Christopher David, a 53-year-old disabled Navy veteran. He says he went downtown to talk to federal officers sent by the Trump administration. And in a video that spread to various parts of the English-speaking world, Mr. Davis stood his ground. A federal officer started hitting him with a baton, and another officer sprayed gas in his face. Your daily dose of data. Oregon Health Authority announced 436 new cases on Sunday, one case shy of the Oregon record for cases in a single day. That brings us to 14,579. Three more people died. Total number of COVID-19 ascribed deaths, 260. Rural Umatilla County continues to report cases in the double digits, 78 new cases on Sunday. And the city of Bend has announced an administrative order to discourage tourism this season. Stay back! The order deters travelers as well as hotels and lodgings from booking any new reservations until September 7th. Then Mayor Sally Russell said she is concerned about the economic impact the order will have, but community health is more important. And while this is happening, top Republican lawmakers are asking Oregon Governor Kate Brown to reconsider her decision to tether Clackamas County to Washington County, Multnomah County. Christine Drazen, House Republican leader, wants Clackamas County to be able to make its own determinations to reopen. Senate Republican leader Fred Gerard offered this quote, Rural Clackamas County shouldn't have to pay the price for the damages caused by violent anarchists in downtown Portland. 
should point out that reported by Forbes and others, protests against systemic racism held in 300-plus U.S. cities did not cause a significant increase in coronavirus infections, according to a team of researchers who published their findings in a 60-page paper released by the National Bureau of Economic Research. As for Clackamas County, 1,111 people have tested positive 160 in the last week, and 30 residents have died of COVID-19. Furloughed Oregon teachers are now finally starting to receive their jobless benefits. PPS, Portland Public Schools, utilized a federal funding program called WorkShare to compensate furloughed educators this spring. This included a temporary raise to make up for reduced paychecks. The Oregon Employment Department was falling behind in their payments. The idea was they would work one day less, but then that gap would get filled with the unemployment insurance. But the Oregon Employment Department failed to make the payments to educators on time. As of this week, though, 96% of Portland Public School workers have received their benefits. And in related news, the Employment Department hopes to speed up jobless claims with a new Google-based online form. More than 50,000 Oregonians are still waiting unemployment benefits. And the Employment Department hopes the new Google form will speed things along. The new system will automate weekly claims, freeing up time to register new claims. It'll also check for missing information before a claim is submitted, cutting down on the time spent chasing down missing data. We don't know the financial arrangement with Google or if it'll help get our ads even more well-targeted. I seem to get a lot of ads for broadcasting equipment, dog snacks, and sneakers. The new Employment Department system went into effect on Friday. Portland City Council is scheduled to vote on COVID-19 priorities this Wednesday. The council will allocate $114 million in federal emergency funds on July 22nd. The majority will go to Multnomah County Public Health as well as meal assistance for low-income households. That's about $20 million each. Another $19 million to homelessness response, about $17 million to rent assistance and mortgage counseling, and $15 million to supporting small businesses. Then another $9 million will be dedicated specifically to a citywide COVID-19 response. Smaller allotments are saved for cities in East Multnomah County supporting arts and cultural organizations, public health outreach. Multnomah County currently leads the state in coronavirus cases and coronavirus response. Since everything else is going so swimmingly, a reminder that it's fire season and a wildfire in Deschutes National Forest is continuing to spread. 150 residents of Newberry Estates were prepared for a potential evacuation after a blaze broke out Saturday afternoon. Residents stayed on alert, but the evacuation notice since has been dropped. As of Sunday, the fire had grown to about 400 acres, and firefighters are working to suppress the blaze despite the hot, dry, and windy weather. A ripple of hope. A local teen dancer has been offering online art classes for free. Recent high school graduate Ethan Myers created the free online program to provide students access to the arts. The classes are student-run and range from learning TikTok dances to studying music production. Myers has also partnered with the local organization Planting Seeds. Any donations that are given to the summer program will benefit Planting Seeds Family Emergency Fund. That fund helps to serve families facing eviction. Myers' summer program is called Virtual Artists, and classes are scheduled to run until the end of July. For more information about Virtual Artists, you can go to virtualartists.org. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Racism and sexism are pervasive throughout the construction industry, so advocates for positive workplace culture in the Portland region hope a recent hateful incident on a construction site here will be the impetus for real industry change. X-Ray reporter Kate Kay has the story. When a noose was found at a downtown Portland building site in May, it wasn't the first time a symbol of hate slinked its way onto a construction site. Now, nearly two months later, the hateful incident is under third-party investigation. Local building trade and workforce equity organizations hope that it, along with the nationwide resurgence in demands for racial justice, will compel construction companies here 
to take meaningful action against a job site culture that's historically racist and sexist. There's a long way to go. Kelly Haynes is senior project manager at Work Systems. They're a nonprofit that aims to improve the quality of the workforce in the Portland region. She calls racism and sexism huge problems in construction. It's like one of the main, like number one reasons that people of color and women use the industry. Um, the level of hostility, graffiti, even microaggressions. So it's against that backdrop that a female construction apprentice of color found a noose early the morning of May 20th while at work. When she found the noose, it was hanging on the wall of an elevator called a hoist. Possibly this very one, which transports people and equipment up and down the spine of the building where she works. It's at Southwest 4th Avenue and Montgomery Street in downtown Portland. Despite her vulnerable position as a construction apprentice and a person of color, she immediately notified her foreman, an employee of a subcontractor, TCM. He told her the noose was, quote, probably a joke. That's according to a letter sent in June by Oregon Tradeswomen and Constructing Hope to the project's lead contractor, Anderson Construction. So the apprentice went to an Anderson foreman. He told her he would address the noose discovery at a foreman's meeting that day. Later, he said he'd forgotten about it. It wasn't until June 8th, nearly three weeks later, when executives from Anderson found out about the noose. The next day, the building's owners were notified. They're a collective, including the city of Portland, Portland Community College, Portland State University, and Oregon Health and Sciences University. To many people, a noose is a death threat. A noose, of course, is a symbol evoking the practice of lynching. African Americans were terrorized by this brutal practice. According to the NAACP, between in 1882 and 1968, there were 4,743 people lynched in the U.S. Nearly three-quarters of them were black. Despite the fact some believe the two foremen should have been suspended for ignoring the noose incident, neither of them have been disciplined. X-Ray first spoke with Anderson President Travis Baker in June about the incident. We don't believe that their presence uh, poses any, any risk to, to the individuals or anybody else. Their mistake was was the dismissiveness or the lack of prioritization. We are waiting until our third-party investigation is complete. And at that point, then we will stand back and decide what what response is appropriate for, for them, whether that's discipline, training, or both. Meanwhile, local advocates for positive construction workplace culture, like Tiffany Thompson, hope the incident sparks more meaningful change. We need to make drastic changes overall and not get into a mode where we're only responding to one incident. Thompson is project manager of the Construction Careers Pathways Program, an initiative to advance racial and gender diversity and end worksite harassment in the region's construction industry. The program is overseen by Portland Area Regional Government Agency, Metro. It was adopted in 2019 by Portland government agencies. It was a 2018 study commissioned by Metro, which led to development of the program. That study found that of the 23,000 non-residential construction workers in the region, only 20% were minorities and just 4% women. Anderson Construction was contacted directly last year by members of the program's work group in the hopes they would endorse the program. Around 50 contractors and contractor associations were asked to sign on. Anderson never did, but neither did most of the other construction firms that were asked. Only 14, many of them 
them minority-owned or operated, endorsed the program, even though endorsement would have cost no money and wouldn't involve any form of compliance for those construction firms. Now, Baker said Anderson expects to endorse the Pathways program, and the company is developing additional diversity and anti-harassment initiatives to supplement efforts it already had in place. And then we also recognize that we're just not a very diverse industry. And we're not a very diverse company. Really, the whole, but the whole industry is the same way. It's, it's a lot of white men. Thompson said rather than simply responding to a singular, although important, incident, the industry must not lose sight of the big picture. We need to be creating an environment where these kinds of incidences aren't happening in the first place, where someone doesn't feel emboldened enough that they could put up a noose in the, in the first place. But then if that happens, where somebody else on that work site, where somebody would feel empowered to actually take the action to take it down. Right now, Metro and other regional partners, including unions and experts in workplace harassment prevention, are evaluating models for culture change in the region's construction industry. For X-Ray.fm, I'm Kate Kay. X-Ray. A new congressional session starts today in D.C. It's a short three-week session, and there's a lot at stake. With the $600 unemployment benefit running out at the end of July, additional direct COVID-19 payment negotiations underway for months, and the election looming. Here are Senator Ron Wyden and Jefferson Smith with a preview of the session and an important discussion on federal involvement in local protests. Well, welcome, Senator Wyden. Today we've got Oregon Senior Senator with us. As Senate is about to go back into session and as federal officials are making what might be deemed arrests here in Oregon, let's start with that. But first, let me just say welcome, Senator. Hey, thanks for having me back, Jefferson. I always enjoy your show and give my best to your papa. It's great to have you. Let's start with this. Last night, We know that Trump had previously sent federal officers to Portland. Governor Kate Brown called it a political stunt. Last night was reporting and video images of unmarked cars seizing unarmed people, an officer tackling a bicyclist. What's your reaction? I think what's going on is pretty clear. Donald Trump and Chad Wolf, his guy at the Homeland Security Department, are weaponizing uh, Homeland Security as their own occupying army to provoke violence on the streets of our hometown, on the streets of Portland, Oregon, because they think it plays well with the right-wing media. And let me give you a contrast, Jefferson. Donald Trump is really hands-off when it comes to fighting the coronavirus and helping states and localities. But I'm telling you, when it comes to paramilitary solutions to uh, deal with American cities, he isn't just hands-on, he goes in there with his fists clenched against Black Lives Matter. Is there anything now, is there any level of accountability, is there anything that the Senate is doing, are there any discussions in Washington about how to address, if this is a dress rehearsal, as some have said, if this is a signal being sent, if there is a close or contested election, contested maybe only by Donald Trump, that uh, demonstrates his willingness either to use federal officials, federal officers, or to try to use a friendly governor's National Guard 
Uh, and this is not this is not uh, me speculating. This includes uh, a reporter from The New York Times wondering about what there needs to be, what readiness there needs to be among the American people, among other institutions as we move into uh, the new year. Well, I mean, your, your first point with respect to, to politics, this is why it's so important that Donald Trump be resoundingly defeated in November. Because if, say, the margin is small, I mean, we know that absent a resounding defeat, Donald Trump is going to say it's all a big plot. You know, I'm sitting at my kitchen table in southeast Portland. We made a video on vote by mail, mostly to push back against Donald Trump. Donald Trump said, do you know what goes on with vote by mail? You have somebody in their living room or their dining room, hundreds of people, could be thousands of people packed in all, you know, fraudulently filling out, you know, ballots. And I said, hey, take a look at my Twitter feed. You'll see my pin tweet is exactly how vote by mail works. And we make the point, Mr. President, I don't see too many people around me in my, you know, dining room. So we know what he's going to do, which is... Um, talking uh, about anything that uh, lets him, after he's defeated, say, oh, there's cheating, there's cheating, there's, there's cheating. Now, beside that, of course, I have real questions about whether what's going on in the streets is constitutional because, and I think our late Senator Wayne Morris would be thundering, you know, right, right now at the way these paramilitary assaults are being conducted. And they, uh, last night, they said something about, well, these are federal you know, facilities we're, we're protecting, and yet we're picking up uh, evidence that people have been picked up who are far away from you know, a federal uh, facility. So we're pushing back. I started um, with Lafayette Square. I'm a member of the committee that has jurisdiction over the Department of Interior. I'm going to insist that we get to the bottom of who ordered the use of the military against the protesters in La Lafayette Square. Um, I've led the effort to uh, determine what the surveillance, this air surveillance of peaceful protesters is all about. And then, as you know, the Oregon delegation put together a very strong um, letter uh, that made it clear we're going to insist on answers to what's going on in Oregon. And uh, uh, I, want, I want people um, to know that we are going to be challenging Trump and, and, and uh, Chad Wolf, every step of the way, and part of my message, I was up early this morning um, talking to people and saying, Oregon and this country need peaceful solutions that bubble up from the community and not dangerous paramilitary assaults directed from Washington, D.C. That's what we're going to be focused on. Speaking of vote by mail, we already know that the president is not making it a priority unless it's making it a priority to block it or to scare people away from it. What is the progress happening state by state or what might be happening federally? How's it going? What's the progress there? Well, I think part of what's happening, and I think this will be, again, true with these most recent figures showing that the virus has spiked in a number of parts of the uh, country. We saw Florida and Texas and California and Arizona. But Jefferson, get this, bright red Kansas, bright red Kansas voted by mail in their primary. And so what's going on is a lot of Republican elected officials 
at home, state legislators, governors, mayors, they're breaking with McConnell. You know, McConnell and, and, and Trump, they see this as voter suppression 101. You know, they know that if people vote, they're going to lose the election. And I think what a lot of local officials are saying is, you know, most of my poll workers are over the age of 60, which indicates that you've got, you know, people susceptible to the virus. Many voters are over the age of 60. And local elected officials are saying, I don't care what Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump are talking about. I'm telling my United States Senator, when that bill comes up next week or the you know, week after, um, we want you to vote for the extra money so we can um, get uh, expanded uh, vote by mail and absentee ballots and extra time for people voting in person. Mary Trump was on TV last night saying that this election was the last chance, in her view, to save the American experiment. Uh, we had a question from a, a friend of the show who asked, is this session the last chance to save democracy to ensure a safe election? Are those alarmist questions? Is that overstating the case? Um, I, I'm sure, you know, in your family has known me since I was a young house guy, you know, on the East East side. I'm always a glass half full guy. And I love the quote from one of the diplomats who say, who said, you know, the Americans always get it right. And he paused and he said, after they've tried everything else, I hope that we can show that this Trump reign of flawed government and, and values that um, didn't give everybody in America a chance to get ahead. I hope people are going to say this is what that quote was about. We've tried everything else with this Donald, Donald Trump era of flawed uh, you know, government. We got to go with something else. Now, one other thing is Donald Trump every single day with his speeches and his conduct seems to be unelecting himself. And um, it's old saying that when somebody's digging a hole, just don't get in the way. What are your top priorities for the session that's coming up? Vote by mail, you've mentioned. Uh, unemployment insurance, I'm guessing, is on there. What's most on your mind? Well, the unemployment insurance issue is so important because it's part of the package of getting money into the hands of working you know, families. People ask, Ron, are you for, you know, an extra check? Absolutely, I am. And I want um, one for the dependent um, kids in a family, this, this kind of thing. But the benefit of the unemployment check, the expanded $600 to help people make rent and pay groceries, that comes every week. And that is not just a one-time thing. Now, the proposal that I have offered with the Democratic leadership, I hope will attract some Republicans. I'll just describe real quickly. What I have proposed now is that the unemployment benefit be tied to the economic conditions that are on the ground in that area. So if, for example, unemployment is over 11%, which is the case now, evidence is well over 11%, you would continue the $600 extra per week each week. And then as unemployment goes down, the benefit tapers off. Now, John Thune, a member of the Republican leadership, for example, was recently quoted in the press saying that he 
understood, hey, if unemployment's high, you gotta make sure people get help. But when unemployment goes down, I wanna make sure the benefit tapers down. Well, that's pretty much what our proposal does. So I'm very hopeful that we'll be able to uh, get vote by mail. The Oregon Way National Hope will be able to get uh, unemployment insurance renewed. I wrote that original package with Steve Mnuchin, the Secretary of Treasury, and the reason we chose $600 uh, a week is because Eugene F. Scalia, the Labor Secretary, was so intransigent he wouldn't work. And I will use these words specifically on your show. Eugene Scalia has been derelict in his responsibility to tell employers and workers what constitutes a safe workplace in the COVID-19 era. I believe, Jefferson, most of our uh, employers in this state want to do the right thing. They want to do the safe thing. They want to you know, do right by our workers. And I believe our workers have a tremendous work ethic. But Eugene Scalia, because he has refused to issue guidance to the states about what constitutes a uh, safe a workplace, is really derelict in carrying out his duties. And when he wouldn't help on determining how to replace wages, we just chose six, 600 bucks a week because it was the average. Some people got more than they would. Some people got less than they uh, would. But hopefully uh, the Trump people are going to see that they're going to have trouble explaining if uh, Congress goes home at the beginning of August and all those folks all summer, uh, the eviction rate um, and, and non-payment rate for rent is just going to go through the stratosphere if people don't have that money. And that, I've been wondering if, you know, if the last payment, I think what the last payment is scheduled for end of July, right? So something's got to be done. Yeah, here, here, so, just so, we, so we're clear. People will get their regular unemployment yeah. during that week, but they won't get the supercharged benefit that I wrote with uh, Steve Mnuchin, correct? I do, do, I do want to, by the, by the way, I'm going to, in the discussions, see if there's some way to make it retroactive to cover that week. I, I can't promise if I'm going to try. And right now, are you feeling pretty optimistic about your ability to get it extended? And do you think it'll be that same level or you think it'll be some re what reduced level? Well, a couple of things. Uh, if you had asked me that question two, three weeks ago, I would have thought that uh, the Republicans were going to try to get out of town without offering any expanded unemployment insurance. If you look at what they're saying in the papers now, primarily because of the spikes, um, lots of businesses who laid people off initially, then brought them back, you know, essentially May, uh, you know, beginning in June. They've had to lay people off again, um, particularly small businesses have um, once again uh, seen in their establishments, you know, not many people, not much foot traffic, you know, this, this kind of thing. And um, I... I always say, you know, never underestimate um, sometimes the disinterest in working families because a lot of these, you know, legislators don't really identify with people who can't make rent and can't pay groceries and, um, and the like. But I've sensed a little bit more reason for optimism because, and, and this is the other thing that's crazy is normally, before an election, the majority party wants to pass legislation that is going to cause voters to think more highly of them. 
Now it's the minority party that wants to help people. And the majority party is, oh, you know, we mostly got to have tax cuts and liability waivers for meatpacking plants that were doing um, uh, things that shortchange safety. How are the U.S. Senate races looking in your mind as you scan the really hotly contested races? Well, we're, we're feeling very positive about where we are going west to east. Um, you know, Mark Kelly in Arizona, John Hinkenlooper in Colorado, Steve Bullock in Montana. I would just be ecstatic if we had those kinds of really um, thoughtful, innovative, people-oriented, um, you know, le legislators. I can go, you know, one, one by one with them. But uh, going from west to east, we're, we're, we're feeling like we're playing a strong hand, like, you know, you don't ever think something's a done deal with uh, the volatility of American politics today, but we've got a strong hand uh, to offer now. Well, I know that time is limited, your time is limited, but let me ask this. For us, as we plan, for our listeners, uh, for people who follow us on social media, is there an area that you're paying attention to or you're seeing the federal government pay attention to that the American people, that Oregonians, that Portlanders, whatever, aren't paying enough attention to? Anything we should be digging into well, more? I, 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 I think this whole idea of reinventing the police is something that really warrants more attention. For example, the last couple of days, and this is also part of, I think Oregon and America deserve to have creative, peaceful solutions that bubble up rather than these, you know, paramilitary assaults dictated by Trump from Washington, D.C. And I'm going to be proposing this month really a very different approach to dealing with some of the challenges on the street. I think, for example, law enforcement, for the most part, and they will tell you this, does not have training in mental health. Sure. And so the legislation that I'm gonna offer, and I saw this years ago, my brother suffered from schizophrenia. Um, there were years and years in the Wyden household where we knew my brother would be on the street and he would be likely to hurt himself or somebody else. One encounter after another with police. And they just weren't trained to deal with mental health. So we've got great programs in Oregon. I was yesterday in Eugene, uh, they have a wonderful program called Cahoots, and I met with the NAACP of Lane County, and basically what they're doing is saying, we're going to take the mental health delivery kind of system on the street, and it's going to be run by mental health counselors and not by, you know, police, and they have produced very substantial savings in terms of doing more with mental health counselors than with police. And here in Portland, um, Portland Street Response is doing a very good job. And Joanne Hardesty deserves a lot of credit, been working very closely with us. And uh, also uh, Chief Boone, the fire people, have been doing a really good job as well. Senator Ron Wyden, thank you so much for spending this time, man. I hope you're staying safe. You too, buddy. Take good care. Thanks to Kate Kay and Senator Wyden for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing, giving it a five-star review, and thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.